You're listening to DraftKings Network. Folks, Mother's Day is around the corner, and let me talk to you about 1-800-Flowers. I can't wait. Every year to tradition, I send stuff to my mother, my mother-in-law, and my wife because they are three amazing moms. They're better than all your moms out there. You think you have good moms? No, I have good moms in my life. I'm just kidding. This was a little harsh. I'm sure you guys all have good moms too. From your mom to the mother of your children and all the moms in between, this Mother's Day, give back to the ones that have given you everything. 1-800-Flowers helps you celebrate all amazing moms from homemade bouquets, sweet treats, gourmet food, and one-of-a-kind gifts ordered easily and delivered fresh. For a limited time, you can save up to 40% off Mother's Day bestsellers at 1-800-Flowers.com slash Dan. Don't wait. Order today and save up to 40% at 1-800-Flowers.com slash Dan. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start, same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckley, SAB, the CV, copyright 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Welcome to another edition of South Beach Sessions. The new producers of South Beach Sessions have been encouraging me to go into the discomfort, to be more vulnerable with these things, to share most or more of myself. I don't want to do that, but if I'm going to do that in the name of growth, in the name of challenging myself, I'm going to want to do it at the beginning with some of my closest friends. So Greg Cody of the Miami Herald, who has been my friend. We have been friends for what? I don't know. You're one of my longest standing friends. I don't have a lot of friends from this time in my life when I was, I guess, 17 years old. So we've been friends for how long? I think you were still in UM, weren't you? I was. I was still at the University of Miami, and I just remembered distinctly, and I've told you this story and others this story before, that you were the first sports writer who was kind to me. I looked up to you and the writers at the Herald. You kind of were dream jobbing it to me. I didn't think that it was possible to do that for a living, do something fun. And I remember wanting to be you when you were in the University of Miami press box covering University of Miami baseball. And and when I was scared, (laughs) I was scared at the Herald. I was interning. These people were legends to me. I was reading them. And the first thing you said to me, you put your hand around me at a cafeteria table where I was sitting off to the <laughs> side, and you said, uh, whispered to me, you know what, Dan, no matter time nor place, parents just don't understand. That's right. <laughs> it was a Will Smith popular l- lyric from the time. It was. <laughs> and it was you trying to make an awkward connection in your way. You don't have many friends, correct? You no. have You have acquaintances, but you are a lone wolf. I am. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm at that age where, unfortunately, some of my best friends have passed on. Uh, I, I lost another one uh, a year or so ago. And uh, that happens when you're getting to be your late 60s, unfortunately. But, yeah, I don't have a lot of friends at all. And, and you've been one of mine for a long time. And I remember uh, quoting Will Smith uh, to you in the cafeteria. And I haven't quoted Will Smith since in any manner whatsoever. 
You have described yourself to me as a bad friend. Yeah. You've said, I'm a bad friend. Oh, yeah. I don't call my friends. I don't talk to them. I don't go out of my way to spend time with them. Right. I'm a bad friend. I do not find you a bad friend. You have shown yourself again and again. Okay. You kid me all the time that I am a bad friend, but that's what makes you a good friend. You're bad about making... That's not what makes me a good friend. What makes me a good friend is that I employ your kid after ESPN fires. All right. That's fair. That too. That too. But no, we're the yin and yang of friendships because I am a bad friend. I'm an inattentive friend. Uh, I don't call, text. You know, I just, I rely on the other, the better friend to do that, to sustain whatever friendship. And you do that. And, um, you know, one of the first things I always marveled about you is that you're, you're very introspective. And the, some of the times you and I have been on the phone talking for 20 minutes, even 30 minutes, um, at the end of the conversation, I feel like I'm on a Naugahyde couch because I can't afford real leather, so I'm on a Naugahyde couch, and you're trying to extract from me uh, emotional stuff, you know, things where I don't necessarily want to go, and, um, you know, if I'm going through tough times in my personal life for whatever reason, you know, you, you want to talk about that, and, uh, and, and that's a good thing, and, and I don't do that. I don't do that naturally, you know. Feelings. Yeah, that's another way. Human to put it. feelings is something that's you don't right. do naturally. No, you know they, you know they're meant to be hidden. You know that's. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what it is, but I, I think that's the way it is. Repression is what I would call it. it could uh, be. General male human repression. Don't it, talk about your feelings. Don't look at them. Right. Don't express them. Don't tell your friends uh, that you love them. But you have shown me in any number of ways and times over the years that you are someone who loves me my father who does not do much of this you were golden with my father i don't know i don't think have i told you the story why you're forever golden with my father i don't think so no uh, and my father does not extend himself to others this way, but uh, there was one time, it was one of the first times ever that I'd gotten into one of these national storms where everyone's talking about you poorly. Uh, we did these rival stupid columns, uh, New York against Miami before oh, a yeah. Knicks series, and I wrote some stuff as uh, in, a, in the contrivance of starting a war with New York right. that made me fear for my life when I was flying into New York and made me feel like I didn't have a whole lot of friends in the world and and my father uh, noticed that you walked everywhere with me in Madison Square Garden. My parents were also afraid for me, just in general, because mm -hmm. of how hostile New York had gotten. Right. And uh, and you were golden forever with my father from that, just because you made sure to stay at my side wherever it is that I was going. You know, you, you, I, th I consider loyalty to be your one of your greatest attributes. Uh, you're an extremely loyal person. It's one of the reasons why my son still has a job and it's one of the things i've admired about you and and i think through you i've sort of learned loyalty i haven't learned how to be a good friend but i have learned loyalty uh you know to a fault i'm loyal to the miami herald as it crumbles around me and uh and and i'm extremely loyal to you you know i'd, I'd do anything for you because i've seen what you've done for other people and and i think that's one of the reasons why your transition from ESPN into, you know, starting up Meadowlark is is such it, it's anxiety for you. It's a lot of pressure. And because you take it all on because you are loyal, you, you don't look at this just as a company. You look at it as dozens of people are relying on me to make this work, you know, to make this a big success. And you take on all that, you know, and, and that's an attribute 
it's tough for you, I'm sure, but it's an attribute. One of the reasons they're encouraging me to do this is because uh, when we did this recently with Dominique Foxworth, when it was over, out of the view of people, uh, I broke down sobbing in his arms uh, in a way I had not before, in a way that was uh, uncomfortable because of the the strain of the responsibility um, because um, this thing growing doesn't uh, necessarily mean that I get to do less. And right. I kind of thought it would. I kind of, in my head somewhere, I thought it, it would that you leave ESPN, but it's been so difficult to build the scaffolding around a, a promise that I don't think people understand um, the core of because I think a lot of people in our audience ride with us with uncommon loyalty because the entertainment dollar is stretched. People have more options than they've ever had. The idea that people listen to three and four hours of this a day is an enormous commitment. But I think the intimacy of it ties us to them from the place where they kind of know that when your son gets let go by ESPN, that it's not going to fly with us, mm -hmm. not me, us, that that's not going to work. I told your son not to choose this as a career because I think it's a shitty career. I've, yes, seen, I've seen how bad it is to people, how cruel it is, how they can be discarded or not valued. And I didn't think there was a career in it, but he followed it because there was laughter in it because he wasn't... He didn't have much of anything that he was doing professionally that gave him joy, correct? Yeah, that is correct. You know, he was um, a high school baseball coach. Uh, he was always looking for a career in sports somehow. And, and what he found in your orbit with you and your show was something that gave him great joy, that made him proud to go to work, proud of where he worked, uh, and, and loving his job. And, and apart from salary, apart from salary and money, loving his job and that's a rarity and he found that and he feels like he found a piece of gold and when he was fired by espn without your knowledge which was a slap in the face to you um and you reacted like you did to save him in his career uh, i didn't need that to happen to to for my appreciation of you and everything you meant to me and my family but that just sealed it for me i mean you saved his career you know and 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 what brought him such joy and and now you know you i don't know if you feel that kind of appreciation from everybody around you but you certainly have it from christopher and i and and hopefully you do feel that from the people that you're spending so much energy and so much anxiety on to build this you say I did something for him, but really, uh, and it's nice, it's a very nice thing to hear, and it's a very noble thing to think of myself, but I would say that in following love, uh, he gave us permission to do a thing I might not have done otherwise. I might not have been able to bring myself to do otherwise because I wasn't sure that I wanted 
more responsibility for others. I've always enjoyed having being responsible for myself. That's right. the great safety net of having an employer, right? Right. Uh, so many of the tensions that we had at ESPN were because Mike Ryan was running interference on me trying to protect this thing from corporate everything, right. from Disney everything, and trying to make sure that my people were, our people were treated with care when corporations, and this isn't true of just disney corporations can be uncaring it's right. one he gave me permission to try and dream about the idea that we can build a different corporation than that that we mm -hmm. can try to aspire to but um it has been really hard and people should know because i've noticed this you and i haven't talked at all about what happened there you and i've never discussed what happened there so through your prism i don't know what happened to, to Chris. I don't know how he got that news. I don't know if he calls you and tells you. I don't know how the details of that unspooled in front of you or how how long your son was scared because I don't imagine that he would he thought we would do what we were going to do for him. No, but I think you told him you, you let it be known pretty quickly. And I think there was always a faith that Dan's not going to let this happen. You know, uh, listen, when I had major surgery in 2008, 18 might have been 2017 I had a large tumor right in the middle of my chest and you and your father other than my direct family you and your father were the ones who came to visit me there and you know that will never not mean a lot to me and then years later ESPN fires my son and because of that you blow up your entire career. You know, that's the tipping point. Obviously, that's not all that made it happen, but that's the tipping point. And I just, I can never have enough gratitude for that. You know, I don't know how else to put it. And Christopher, he felt devastated when ESPN fired him. Um, but then when you stepped up, I, I thought there, I think there was always a feeling. I think I even said to Christopher at the time, Dan's not going to sit still for this. I, I, I just had a feeling you were going to do something. I, you know, I didn't think you were going to let him just drift off, uh, you know, part of it because you, you and I have that relationship, but part of it because you thought it was so unfair that, that he was let he was the one let go you didn't have a chance you didn't want anybody to be let go but you didn't have a chance to have a say in that it was an insult to you I think you felt like that and but we always felt safe uh, with you I think my family you know dance I think this is gonna be okay and then soon everything happened that happened and and Christopher's still working for you and loving every minute of it Hey guys, it's Tony. I am very, very, very excited about the NBA playoffs. They have been incredible so far. Taylor, producer on the show, thanks to Game Time, took a 28-hour train ride to a Knicks game. Talking to Taylor, it was an awesome time going to the game, feeling the energy of the garden, and I really want to get out there to watch a game in the garden. And you know how I do it? Of course, the best ticket app on the planet, Game Time. Game Time is an authorized ticket marketplace of the NBA, which makes getting playoff tickets even faster and easier. Prices on the Game Time app actually go down the closer it gets to tip-off with killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, which is a technology I love, by the way, 
GameTime has tons of last-minute deals you can save up to 60% off buying last-minute for sports, concerts, comedy, theater. Take the guesswork out of buying NBA tickets with GameTime. Download the GameTime app today. Create an account. Use code DAN, D-A-N, for 20 bucks off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code DAN, D-A-N, for 20 bucks off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets. Lowest price guaranteed. People should know because Greg uh, has not said this uh, in a way that hasn't been playful, but since we left ESPN, I don't believe Greg Cody has gotten a dollar from Metal Arc. He may have gotten some from some sponsors, but Greg has been working for free uh, since we left, and because I didn't like that you were working for free, Um, I wrote you a check, a personal check that I have noticed, and I have not told you this, has not yet been cashed. You like money. I've been making fun of you all your life (laughs) about how much you like money. Right. You tend to cash checks I've written to you previously very quickly. They get okay. they get cashed very quickly. Well this, where they're gonna bounce. This so. is a large this was a large one because yeah. I didn't like that the company had not yet paid you once we were got getting up and running. But you haven't cashed that check. Right. No, and, and I don't know that I will you know it it's it's not about money with you and I and, and you're kind enough to, you know, let me shamelessly plug my own podcast uh, every once in a while in exchange for me not asking any money for for being on your show because I love doing the show and and I hope this goes without saying but my affiliation with you has made my late career just a joy and and the success that I never thought it would be I mean right print journalism is fading 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 okay but but all of a sudden Print journalism is not my identity anymore. My identity is my podcast. It's being on your show, and it's the success of my podcast largely because of being on your show. And I appreciate that so much that uh, my landings, the landing spot for my career is so much better than I ever thought it would be. When, when Christopher and I were in Houston for the Final Four, Dozens of people at the game were taking selfies with us and recognizing us. And, and, and I think one guy mentioned that it, it was because of my writing in the Herald. He's from Miami. But for the most part, any you always like to refer to it as crappy celebrity. Any crappy celebrity I have is because of you. And I recognize that. And I, and I appreciate it so much. I, I just do. It fails to mention some things, though, that probably should be mentioned, Uh, starting with, I get to the Miami Herald, and you're in line for the major columnist's jobs. You are ahead of me. You are older than me. You are very good at doing this. The business is filled with ego, with vanity. You were never threatened by me. Mm Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're right about that, and I've thought a lot about that. Uh, and part of it is uh, more than part of it. It's so rare, though, Greg. Greg, it's yeah. so rare. It is so rare. It's a small space. Being a newspaper columnist right. mattered. I sort of passed you there, yes. and you allowed it with great grace. You, It never revealed itself as anything other than support for me. I, I, I know it well, and, and these were the days when 
the newspaper was still sort of the king in the market, right? The, like, if you were a Miami Herald, as, a Herald columnist in the late 80s into the early 90s, it was still a really big deal. And Edwin Pope, the legend in our market, was still there. Um, it's, it's totally respect for you that uh, an, enabled me to handle it like I did because it should have ruined our friendship. It should have come between us, right? If I had, if I was petty, if I was jealous, if, if I had an ego a little bit too big, we wouldn't be friends. You've got a pretty good ego, though, Greg. This is the thing. Like, it's not like you don't have an ego. It's not like it wasn't put down for right. me in a way that felt loving. It felt supportive. Yeah. It, I didn't feel a hostility toward me at the Miami Herald, at least in part because you wouldn't allow it. Well, I think part of that was self-confidence. Like, like I'm good at what I do. I can say that. I'm a good writer. I, I don't know that I'm a good reporter, <laughs> but I'm a good writer. I, I know what to do with words. You're better. And I recognize that. And you got nothing. Somebody said to me once at the Herald when, when you were surpassing me, and it was obvious to everybody at the Herald that, oh, they, they just need a, a, a Cuban guy. They just need the, the Cuban voice. And, and, and if I believed that, uh, that too might have filled me with with so much vitriol and and acid that uh, that it would have come between us. Um, I saw your talent. I was right near it. I saw it. I lived it. And and I'm like, I can say, I'm really good. Lebatard's better. You know, and and that um, that is why we're friends today. You know, that's why I respect you so much. You're loyal as hell. Uh, it, it's why you still have me on your show, even though I'm old and I'm probably not as nearly as good as I should be talking into a mic. But you're loyal to me. I'm very loyal to you. Um, and, and, and that, though, what you say, it we shouldn't be friends today because under any other circumstance, I would have been so angry that you're leapfrogging me because i paid my dues i paid my dues i i waited for bob rubin to leave i was in line behind pope no it was yours it was the, yeah. the lead columnist in town it was your position to have at the herald through seniority yep. through talent through yep. uh pecking order uh there that could have been poisonous but when you say that you are very loyal to me i'm not sure how much you've thought about this because I don't know if the audience knows this. The original choice to be Stugatz was you. I wanted to do this show with you. I went to you and asked you to do this show, and they were going to pay you a good amount of money to do this show, and you were going to be Stugatz before Stugatz. You were choice number one. More than Boob Chambi, more than anyone, I wanted to do the show with you. And you who likes his fame, has his ego, <laughs> loves his following, you said, I cannot do it. It would not allow me to be at Christopher's high school baseball games. Right. It would keep me from being around my son during some high school years that yeah. I think are, are important. Um, yeah, the timing was just wrong. When I look back at it, I'm like, wow, I, I made a bad choice. I should be thinking that, but I'm not. 
I'm, I'm not. I did in in some way. I did make a bad choice professionally, <laughs> but but <laughs> you know, be, being here and making all that money and having Stugatz's fame versus being uh, in a, in a little press box as big as this studio, broadcasting my kids' high school games, uh, seemed like a good idea at the time. Uh, but I but I don't regret that. I I just don't because. Um, you know the, the the kids grow up so fast. It's it's the, it's the number one cliche of parenting. But you know, Christopher, the day before yesterday was six years old doing cartwheels on a t-ball diamond, and then I'm I'm broadcasting his high school games, and now he's in his mid thirties. I mean, it just flies. You know, your your parents think the same thing about you. You know that you were just in grade school. They were just watching you in high school, and and now look at you. And and your parents are aging, and Christopher looks at that, looks at me, right now the same way you're looking at your father. You know, it's just it's a whole mortality thing. It it flies by so fast that I just wanted to be a part of that. You know, I'm I'm a bad friend. I'm Erlene would tell you I'm probably not a great husband all the time, but I do think I'm a a, a pretty great father. And that's very important to me. And a present father, because you wanted to do, you wanted to be on the dugout for his high school games, introducing the hitters, right. correct? Like I that's did. The, that's the choice you made. You chose instead of and chose instead of international fame and glory, <laughs> uh, the microphone that would serve you for twenty years, right? <laughs> in Stugatz's role with me new, doing none of the ads ad reads, so he could get all the money. Yes. All of that could have been yours, and instead you chose a microphone over a dugout to for a seven and nine plantation it, team. Yeah, they weren't even they weren't even a great team. <laughs> they weren't even a great team. What was I doing? But uh, but I enjoyed it, and and you know, I wanted to I wanted to be give a professional sounding broadcast to a high school game. Okay, and if I wasn't doing it, it would have been you know some freshman. 13 year old who didn't know how to do anything and and i tried to you know i gave the kids a nice introduction and now batting number 16 shortstop bobby riffle you know that type thing and then christopher enjoyed it i kept all those stats in a big book and everything but believe me your father feels the exact same way about you i don't know if he always tells you oh no but here's the thing though right i'm sure he does feel that way but i i remember my father god almighty this one's interesting greg me and my brother this is this is how remedial it was with my father i don't know if it's just sort of old cuban tropes or male tropes me and my brother with a great deal of practice not once or twice, dozens and dozens of times had to teach my father, Dad, when we volunteer, I love you, you say, I love you too. <laughs> That's the way it's supposed to work. The thing that I remember of my greatest achievement, trying to please a man who didn't do pleasure, right? I'm wrought with whatever the scarring is of... Of that right just whatever it is a child trying to please a man who doesn't do pleasure you're right. gonna personalize some of that I still remember the orange ink on the baseball when I threw a no-hitter in first grade uh, when right. no one can hit everybody threw no hitters right uh, because it said just on the ball he wrote it I'm proud of you 
Um, wow. You have had a great gift as someone who doesn't talk about his feelings that much, who doesn't rummage around in these spaces very much, to be able to share this with Christopher in a way that he appreciates. Like, I see the love between you. It's charming. It reminds me of the relationship with me and my father where he gets super frustrated with you. But he will have no doubt that his father loved him. Right. The Dan Libertard Show with Sugats is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Keeping things bottled up can feel like carrying a weight that gets heavier with time. Whether it's talking to a trusted friend, journaling, or seeking professional help, finding ways to let out your thoughts and feelings can bring relief and help you navigate challenges more effectively. Remember, it's okay to reach out for help when you need it. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com DLB today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com DLB. Yeah, I, I think your dad is, is of a generation that just didn't share their feelings as much. A couple of times over the years, uh, I, at a Heat game, I'm, I, I remember the conversation, because uh, Poppy was at Heat games in the press room for some reason. You know, he's um, and, 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 <laughs> Complaining about Mickey Harrison not having yes. enough chips in his free potato chips. <laughs> That's yes. exactly right. Chasing down the owner of the Heat personally to tell him there are not ch- enough chips in here. Right, and and it came up once how great you were doing, and you must be so proud of Dan. And I teed him up, and I just got a bunch of bluster. Oh, of course, you know, of course I am. You know, oh yes. <laughs> you know, my dad was the same way. You know, World War II generation. Uh, not an "I love you" guy. My dad either. Um, I found out after he died. Wow. That he had been keeping a scrapbook of all my clippings. Which I never knew. He never mentioned it. Um, but so, you know, love isn't always conveyed in words. You know, and, and you have that from your parents. But you're great with words, and your son knows because there's no private scrapbook. You right. probably didn't say all the things you wanted to say. There's still time to say them. Right. Uh, no, I'm, I'm much more, I'm an I love you guy. Like, like my parents weren't. And I learned from that, you know, and, and I think that's one of the, the reasons that I think I'm a pretty good parent is that I, I learned from what I didn't get from my parents. And they were great parents, but they just weren't demonstrative. And, and I'll, I'll tell Christopher and Michael, my, my other son, how proud I am and, and encourage them and hug. Uh, you know, my brother and I never hugged at all until... The time we were seeing my father dying, and we left telling him we'd see him tomorrow, knowing we wouldn't. And we, when we left that hospital, my brother and I hugged for the first time, and we've hugged ever since. You know, it, saying goodbye to a parent does a lot of shit to you. You know, it it, it it's big. And and you, if, if you don't mind me mentioning it, 
I, I know you think about that a lot with well, your I've, aging I've, parents. I've, well, I've been to hell and back over the last couple of years yeah. with an assortment of things that, uh, it's not just the business stuff that we've been handling. But it's all coincided, though. Yeah, well, because because their mortality is something that is, uh, yeah, it's, it's very difficult to navigate, but... One of the things that I have learned later in life, and it's been brought by my wife and a deeper feeling of love, is an awareness of my blind spots that allows me to navigate past the sandpaper people who came before me, sandpaper emotions, not just my dad, I'm talking about all of his parents and all of their brothers. There's a whole clan of generational lebitard Latin men who either never married or never knew love or didn't raise kids. Like there's a lot of them. They were a famous orchestra in Cuba. Mm -hmm. Like they were a band that was womanizing, but not doing at the end. They all died alone. All right. of them died totally alone because of sandpaper uh, emotions that were passed down to my father right and I've been able to avoid very late in life but would have gone to the grave without even realizing I was succumbing to my patterns if not for marrying someone who I wanted to please so much right. that I was no longer defensive or offended by her very gently showing me the mirror on where my blind spots were with my family and my patterns and your mother uh, never thought anybody was good enough for you, right? And, and that's not a criticism of your mother. That's how much she loved you. Nobody was good enough for her, Danny. So when Valerie finally came along, I, I think, and, and I don't know if it was reluctantly, I don't know if it was eagerly, but Valerie got into your family in a way that you, you had long-term relationships, you know, and and no, my family never. This was the exile experience. It was so distrustful that I didn't realize this until I legitimately didn't realize this until I was fifty years old. Imagine what kind of blindness you have, blindness you have to have, to not realize what I'm about to tell you in a half century of what I think is some learning about life. Right. I'm curious. I like to learn. I didn't even realize until I looked back from fifty years after my wedding day. Holy shit, me and my brother have never really welcomed another family, another family of anybody to mm -hmm. be with his relationship and my relationship. Like the exile experience was such that it was us and just us. We were the only ones who could trust each other. And then the old people start dying right and left. And then right. it's just the four of us. And we're all we got. It's the four of us. And nobody else is allowed in because that's been the exile experience. If you don't let anybody in, you don't get hurt. And if you don't trust, you never have the trust broken. Right. And every everybody else is closed off. It's a it's a closed society. Five-year and six-year girlfriends, not allowed know, in. Right. Not, not allowed in. None of them were allowed to be, to soak into the fabric of what was family. It was always, we've got our family and you are over there. Imagine how stupid I had to be. None of you told me. I thought that was so weird. I've gone back to some of my friends and been like, how did none of you tell me how weird it was that I was always bringing my dad with me everywhere yeah. to like even put him on a TV show? How is it that none of you told me how strange it was that in my 40s, I'm still hanging around with my mother? Right. You know, that that's a good question. And my wife, Erlene, and I have had those conversations, but... It, 
it would feel like meddling if all if I'm telling you and you you still make fun of me to this day when you you and your dad started that TV show that that I wrote in the paper the, the questioning whether it would work or not <laughs> you know just like I, I I did because that was unheard of at the time you know you don't put your dad on TV what's he doing in, in parenthetically it was funny it was, yeah. just, it was just funny if you don't respect television look what's the maximum disrespect you can show television <laughs> get somebody who doesn't speak proper english right. as the first language and right. put them in the center of your show <laughs> exactly. that's a good fuck you for television I'm, isn't it i'm telling you and i questioned whether or not it would work and and you always got a kick out of that because parenthetically it did work pretty damn well for a pretty long time um but yeah it's it's I, I just always felt like I would ask you now, looking back on it, did you ever, were you ever concerned that why doesn't my mother seem to like all my girlfriends? Like, was that ever on your radar? It's not that she didn't like them. It's that there wasn't an absorption in a way that allowed me to share my life with all of the entities because the Cuban family has to stay together okay you flee to find freedom you must protect it together and so i don't think she thought she was being selfish i don't think she thought she was keeping me to herself it's just that i saw all around me to me it wasn't strange when i say to you why didn't any of you tell me this it's because all of my 30 and 40 year old cuban friends their family is still involved in their life right. it's still part of the fabric like the normal thing is see if you can get grandma to live out back until she dies see if we can get a guest house out back or have her in another room in the house because it's just a small existence right but but have you ever had these kind of talks with your mother? Yes, I I went uh, <laughs> I went to therapy. I've done a lot of therapy. I've probably done I don't know fifteen years worth of therapy trying to navigate some of these issues. And again, I tell you, fifteen years of therapy. Still, this one didn't dawn on me until I was fifty. Mm -hmm. Long into the therapy, and almost. Every time and every way, what I would find at some point is a blockade until I made my own choices about it. And again, every woman I've ever been with has tried to be like navigate the labyrinth of how do I get him away from his mother without telling him I'm getting him away mm -hmm. from his mother. Right. Without him, without him noticing, because it was always subtle or it was never just spoken, hey, this is moronic, you're a weirdo, what's the matter with you? Right. Snap out of it, be an adult. And it wouldn't have worked if any woman had come at me that way. I had to see it for myself. It had to be something that was noticed by me or I wouldn't do it. I would have been defensive or reluctant about it. And, and how did that epiphany happen? I mean, I just met her. That's how it happened. And then it was easy. The hardest thing was somehow easy. The blind spots evaporated. The feeling was too good to not pursue it. And then, furthermore, to protect it, to make sure that nothing could get near it, because I'm transitioning from one kind of way of thinking, and I'm just turning upside down things that I had conviction about, principles that I had conviction about. This is a, a submission and a surrender that came to me as the most natural thing in the world just because it felt right like yep. it felt like well wait a minute 
if this is what it can be, if this is what life can be, if this is what love can be, is right. if this is what light can be, mm -hmm. then I must put it in a treasure chest and keep it to myself and protect it from the world. But but you also had to make that uh, revelation work within your family, and and I'm wondering. Was there much heavy lifting for Valerie and your mother to become close? Have they become close? Uh, they have become close, and I I have to be the one navigating boundaries there. Valerie's not going to do anything wrong here. Right. Wherever it is that I have to put my foot down in order to create the boundary, I will do it. But you have to understand that what I grew up seeing, when I talk to you about patterns, my father and only son, again, from a lot of people who didn't have kids or weren't married, or I did not see, I did not have a lot of examples of what a multiple relationships are supposed to look like, grow up around. One of them, when my grandmother comes here, and she lives with us in our house when I am in my very earliest formative years, my grandmother, because there was no other place for her to live, she had to come live with us, and my parents weren't sure they would ever see her again. They left their families thinking, getting on planes as teenagers, thinking that they would see them again soon, and then 10 years go by, and they're adults when they see them right. soon. And now grandma lives with my parents, and whatever invasiveness that is to have in a married couple's life. And my grandmother was always being very careful to keep a distance from my father while giving him the space and walking around if his feet were on a coffee table but if my mom's feet were on a coffee table she would just come over and knock them off of the table mm -hmm. she was very respectful she would even when in their home she was very respectful of not infringing upon that relationship wow and these are the things these are the things that I saw these are these are the imprintings that you don't realize that you have on you that are part of what form you I loved uh, the South Beach sessions you did with Dominique because one thing in it that I really related to was you two talking about your wives and about the, the women in your life and and how that just mattered so profoundly because I have that with my wife who does everything in our house you're a giant toddler i i can't i'm almost literally telling you i cannot turn on our tv you're i'm not being sarcastic when i say right. you're a giant toddler i'm a giant toddler she yeah. is raising you are the least evolved of her three sons okay. and she only has two sons that's right that's probably right i'm a 195 pound toddler and I give myself a little benefit of doubt on that on, on the, that on the weight on that weight <laughs> estimate. But um, but listen, <laughs> this morning it was two o three. But you know I'd been in Houston. I'd been doing some drinking and you know blah blah blah. So, uh, but I want to ask you this: you, Valerie has made you happier than I've ever seen you. But the past couple of years and the anxiety of starting a, a new business have made you probably more anxiety-ridden than I've ever seen you. Yeah, I'm less confident than I've ever been, and I'm less fearless than I've ever been because I'm not uh, I'm not just responsible for myself. It, and, and it's hard for me to treat failing as learning. I'm not an entrepreneur. I am not a, I'm not someone who knows how to build a startup company. I don't want to be managing people. I want to let people be. I want them to govern themselves and get the maximum freedom, authenticity, and voice from there that you can get. Right. What does it feel like to have everyone believing in you so much and counting on you so much? 
you're you're running a business. You have people staring at you, counting on you to do the right I've thing. I've been doing it them. since I was eight years old. I've been doing it since my mother married a man who had his emotional limits, and then in ways unseen marries me and makes me responsible for the family she would not like that appraisal i my mother's a hugely loving woman she right. was she kept the family together under very hard circumstances uh lacking fear and just drowning us in love and faith uh but i've been doing it in some form since i was eight years old and now as you talk about the happiness with my wife my my marriage is really good and i want to spend as much time in it as i possibly can but building a business doesn't allow it's consuming it's it's yes. just so consumptive and i'd like it to be less consumptive and i'm working toward that while trying to achieve a balance well like how do you do that because a, a great marriage is insulation in a lot of ways it protects you from so much but you're having to juxtapose that with everything you're going through on the business side of it. And people who just listen, fans of the show, just get to see the, the you on the air, but you off the air dealing with the business end of it is is something to see. It, 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 it's a revelation to me to look at it. And I'm wondering, when you got into this enterprise with John Skipper, how, how is it different than you imagined? Because you can't be surprised exactly that it's been this much of a burden. I am entirely surprised because I thought I'd be doing this part of it, which I've gotten good at and is pretty easy for me, and I wouldn't have to concern myself at all with the other part of it, that other people would handle the other part of it. It's the greatest mistake I made. Like it's the, It was naive to think. It's why I thought it would be easy. I'll just come in and keep doing the same job. I will right. just keep coming in, and I won't worry about anybody's health insurance. I won't have to worry about whether we have enough cameramen. I won't have to worry about whether the video department works. I won't have to worry about the infrastructure from ESPN. I won't have to worry about moving studios. I won't have to worry about whether somebody thinks that somebody doesn't have enough money out of our you know, tens of millions of dollars. Right. I thought I was handing that over to a group of executives who would handle 100% of it. Let me ask you a naive question from someone who's never owned a business isn't there a way to delegate can't you go to john skipper and say i need five other people that's to why we have 55 employees and i'm still in charge <laughs> of these things okay. <laughs> wow okay we, maybe you need 65 employees well, that's the solution to everything. It used to be just 45 employees. Hire more people? It, it, yes, it used to be. Just keep hiring more people. How about, how about hire people who are going to make my job easier? Maybe that should be a specific. <laughs> what would you do differently, though? Like, like how, how could it have changed for you? to? Because I've seen you the last two years, man, and, and you take on everything. And, and I hear you talking between uh, segments on the air. And, and I, I've, I see how much this has weighed on you. What's the question? The question is, how can you, what could you have done differently? Because it's not I fair but, to you. No, but here's the thing. It, it, it doesn't have to be done differently. On the other side of pain, there is growth. I don't know a lot of people who willingly choose pain in the name of running toward pain and fear and on the other side of that saying growth like uh, I don't know how much of this I would actually change. I followed my heart. And in doing so, I then make the scaffolding around the following of a heart that has been 
opened, and I don't know that I would do it differently. I think we're going to come across great success. I think we're already succeeding in ways that are enormous, profound, and moving, but it doesn't mean that any of that is easy. The it, the trick is to find the joy in the challenge. I've got I've learned so much from some people who I consider more evolved than me who consistently choose the hardest thing because it's the fucking hardest thing. They somehow know that if they can solve that puzzle, there will be great growth and fulfillment in it. But it requires you to invite change. And you know, as you've gotten older specifically, how little change you invite because mm -hmm. you're comfortable in the familiar. This is a product. This conversation is a product of new producers handling South Beach sessions and demanding something uncomfortable from me in the name of growth. Mm -hmm. To have these conversations with you and others, hopefully one day with celebrities where they're not quite so one-sided, where I get to hide behind the questions because there I don't have to show anybody anything. I could just keep hiding. I could, I could do that all day, just deflect from anyone actually seeing me by asking a thousand good questions. But then there's no real vulnerability in it, and I'm just doing the same dry show that doesn't probably have any of your and my tears in it either. Right. Do you come to work every day uh, eager and, and happy to be going to the studio? It fluctuates, uh, but never because the doing of the show is the problem. Right. Like, the doing of the show is always a joy. It's all the other stuff around it that is less joyous. It's the mechanics. It's the details. It's some of the stuff I've never been good at, and my brain doesn't really not doesn't enjoy it isn't good at it right. and so then i just fumble around and fail and i'm also not interested in some of the details i yeah. prefer but the doing of the show i think everybody here would say that that the doing of the show is a joy that that doesn't feel like a suffering and that's why i believe our show is such a fabergé egg in in this entire industry that it exists as somebody as something that has a a breathing living heartbeat where the people are clearly enjoying themselves when when is that not contagious right. watching others enjoy themselves i mean i suppose you could be jealous of it as well but i'm guessing that most people listening to this would love to do this for a living oh oh sure and and you've always used that as a barometer uh, did you, are we laughing much in the studio uh, did, did you laugh today you know, that's your barometer of a good show for the most part. Once in a while you get serious, of course, but laughter and, and the, the, the idea of friends laughing together is, is the starting point for you, and, and it always has been. But, you know, I'm older than you, and in my marriage, one of the taboo subjects is what are we going to be doing in five years? When are you going to retire? When are you going to retire? It's just an unavoided subject. In your case, if you don't mind my asking, you and Valerie have to be plotting it out, right? Like, what are you going to be doing in five years? I hope to be curating over a company that we've built that cares. Like, Dominique did ask me this the other day. He asked me, and I did the deflecting thing, and I danced around it. But he was basically asking me, how do you uh, want to be remembered? And my short answer would have been, he cared. Um, and my longer answer would be... Um, that he cared what he built not just that he cared right like it's one thing to care and love people and spread love and have friendship but that what he built had care in it i'm i want this company to to be something that lives at the soul of where our friendship resides mm -hmm. and 
where your son's career resides and where your son's joy resides. I have hired uh, people like you at the top of our company who are also dream building at the end of their careers, mm -hmm. whether it be John Skipper, one of my mentors, or Gary Honig, one of my mentors. These uh, Gary Honig is approaching 80 years old and has the job of his lifetime enjoying in our documentary division because I wanted to make sure that I was surrounded by people who care about me, that I could care about, who could then extend that care to others. So that's, a, that's the longer answer, but that's why I'm still doing it. That's why I haven't already run off with my wife to a plot of land in Hawaii to just look at uh, look at the sea so that I don't have to deal with uh, you know your complaints that you haven't been paid uh, by our invoice department <laughs> for some for some ad you did for a whiskey yeah right exactly well they're, they're complaints made with love whenever I uh, complain to you about not being paid uh... I think they should pay you they, I just don't want to worry about it I don't exactly. want to be worried about the invoicing well you know I may cash that check yet you know that big check of yours that I have yet to cash mainly because I've completely forgotten where I put it I don't know. The, the, the checks expire. I mean, it's probably expired by now. I don't know. I love you, buddy. I love you, too. <laughs>